Let's talk about Tulsa's Black Wall Street. Let's also discuss the critical race theory. What about Nigeria's special anti-robbery squad murdering innocent protesters? And a whole lot more. This is Pablo from Hackney, and this is Pablo's podcast. Thank you for choosing Pablo's podcast today. Welcome. When you think everything is someone else's fault, you will suffer a lot. When you realize that everything springs only from yourself, you will learn both peace and joy, the Dalai Lama. So this week, lots gone on this week. First, I'd like to start off with saying happy birthday to the genius that is Pele. He's 80 this, this week, eight years old. You know, this is the man... This is the man who won three World Cups, you know, scored like 12, 1,250 goals for Brazil and Brazil, Santos and New York Cosmos. So, you know, over his 21 years, he's an absolute legend, man. And it's just great that he's still about, you know. So we give him his flowers while he's still alive. So Lewis Hamilton should be entering the books of greatness. He's already there, to be fair, but... This Sunday, he, if he wins this race, that would be it. He would have passed um, Michael Schumacher's um, most, most race wins. So that's going to be excellent. I'm definitely going to be watching that. Um, and he's starting off in pole position as usual. To be fair, it doesn't matter where he starts these days. He still tears it up. So that's going to be an amazing race tomorrow. Winf- Winifred Atwell, um, a little-known uh, Trinidadian pianist, um, started her career in 1952, um, recorded um, a track called Black, the Black and White Rag, which prepared her to stardom, basically. Um, her, her sort of music, is, it was kind of of the time, so it didn't really transcend, transcend till, till now. It's not something we hear all the time. But I, I found out about her recently, and um, I could appreciate her skill. She used to go on stage and play two pianos at the same time, two different side sounding pianos. Uh, mixing classical with what they used to call boogie-woogie and ragtime tunes. Um, first black person to go to number one in the UK um, singles charts. Um, and she is the... Yeah, she, I mean, she, she sold like over 20 million records, you know, and, and still she's selling records now. Um, sadly, she died in 1983 at the age of 69. But yeah, def- definitely somebody to um, look into and, and, and see how her story went. So that's Winifred Atwell a little-known musician. Um, Tulsa, um, Tulsa is the place where Black Wall Street um, happened. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure most of you would have heard of that. Um, but recently they found um, 10 bodies there in an unmarked grave. Um, basically, I mean, the, the long and short of it is in, what is it, 1921, there was an attack on what they used to call Black Wall Street. This was a place that was, you know, run by black people. Black people lived there. Black people ran the banks. Black people run everything there. All self-sufficient. And it was in the time of, you know, lynchings and, and, and things like that. But they was doing their own thing there. Um, and basically, um, something happened. You'll have to read into that. But long story short, um, a white white mob um, claimed, you know, 300, 300 um, lives you know, um, and wounded another 800. So they, they basically bombed. I mean, I think this was the first time the, that America had been bombed from the skies. And that was um, when there was dropping 
whatever bombs, etc., on on the town of um, Tulsa. So yeah, really, really sad time. But basically, they found some new bodies there. They're not sure if they are um, relics from that time or not. But they was buried next to some coffins that were from that time. So that'd be, you know, be interesting for those for those families, people who lost people in the, in that time. You know, obviously, this would be a way for them to reclaim their bodies. Um, on Sky, um, Sky History Channel, there was a show called The Chop, um, and they basically, it's ironic, it's called The Chop because they had to axe it. Um, basically, one of the contestants, a fully tattooed face contestant, turns out that some of the, the tattoos that he had on his face, he had some numbers like 88, 23, 16, and it turns out that these are white supremacist um, codes. Um, so 88 is for Heil Hitler, so basically the eight is the eighth letter in the alphabet. So that was that's the code basically eight eight Heil Hitler. Um, and then he had I think he had another one. He had twenty three and sixteen, um, and those um, symbolise um, white power. Same again W and the P twenty three sixteen. I didn't know any of this, um, but yeah. So basically, it's, they put out a, a post or um, a little short clip of the show. People saw it. People wrote in and now they've axed it and it's under investigation. The strange thing is, um, Sky, Sky put out a statement saying um, Sky stands for stands against racism and hate speech. And they also said um, that, what did they say? They spoke about his father. There was something about his father where they said that he's, he died on his, his father died on specific dates and that's what it was related to. So what was it? They said amongst, amongst various numer numerical tattoos on Mr. Lumsden's body, 1988 is the year his father died. So Mr. Lumsden, Darren, is it Darren? Yeah, I think his name was Darren. Um, Darren Lumsden. So the day that his father died, basically, is the day, that's why he said the tattoos were there. But the male then later claimed that um, Mr. Lumsden's father, Trevor, who told the website, um, he's alive and kicking and he's not dead yet. So obviously that's, that's not the truth. So, so yeah, long story short, um, he, he shouldn't have been on there. They were supposed to vet their people properly and find out who they are and, and what they represent, especially if they've got it tattooed all over their face. So we'll have to see how that pans out. Maybe that show won't end up coming back on. Um, but I'm sure it will. They'll probably just have to remake it with some new contestants as well. So also... Um, there was an anti-mask uh, protest today um, gathering in central London um, demanding the end to lockdown rules, which are, you know, they're, quite, they're getting quite punitive and they're, they're, you know, one minute you're allowed to do one thing, one minute you're not. So I understand the stresses it's, it's putting on people for sure. Um, it's the fourth protest they've had in, in London, um, but today there were 18 arrests, um, three police were injured. So yeah, people are not happy. People are not happy at all up and down the country. Um, the, the plasma that they was talking about giving patients, um, so basically taking plasma from um, patients who recovered from COVID. So it's turned out um, the British uh, Medical Journal, they, they basically said that um, it's not having any clinical benefit um, to patients. So it's something that they're looking into changing or, you know, finding other things that do work. So... So yeah, I mean, but obviously they've got to try everything. They've got, they're going to try various things and, to see what works, what, what can help, because um, we're in this situation. We're going to be in it for, it seems like, a while. Um, so, and also they're, they're, test, they're doing some new human um, 
COVID trials. So we're going to, the UK is basically going to be the first um, country to carry out hum, the human challenge tests where they basically put um, 90, peop, 90 healthy people and deliberately give them COVID, you know, um, and basically monitor them and see how it affects them and, you know, just basically do their testing and stuff. So these people are going to be human guinea pigs. The government's put like 33 million towards um, this groundbreaking work. So hopefully, you know, that amount of money, hopefully it does something, you know, hopefully we find something that can move us forward and out of this um, this situation, this Groundhog Day of sometimes you're locked in, sometimes you're locked out, sometimes you can do this, sometimes you can't do that. We, you know, it's, it's, you know, people are definitely... It's wearing thin for people at this stage. So sadly, um, sadly, uh, this and this also it really kind of touched me today. Um, a young, a young boy just recently found that a young boy um, was stabbed, stabbed to death in Walthamstow, seventeen-year-old boy. Um, why, why? It I mean, it, obviously, it touches me anytime I hear anybody dying, um, especially a, a young person. But why this touched me even more because it's, it's so. It's happened like kind of so recent that the 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 next of kin haven't been informed yet you know so what that made me start thinking about is you know obviously it's out in the it's out in the papers and it's it's publicized that it's happened and they don't know the identity of the person yet and they have it not fully and they haven't been able to contact the next of kin which means there's somebody a family sitting at home not knowing the call that they're about to get, you know, so it kind of kind of brought it home for me. Um, so yeah, I you know I really feel it feel it for the family and my thoughts and prayers go out to them when when they get that news. Um, but yeah, man, it, yeah, this 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 killing stuff we 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 got to keep it in the forefront of our minds so we can so we can start addressing it, you know, because it's it's our young people killing our young people at the end of the day. You know, so, you know, chances are you, you if you're listening to this, you're a parent of young people, you know, so this this could be you or I, God forbid. So, yeah, I think we should we really need to keep that in the forefront of our minds so that we can try and nip these things in the bud. But yeah, my thoughts and prayers go out to the family. So, Miss um, Dawn Butler, MP, Labour MP, um, is, is back in the back in the media. Um, talking about uh, national curriculum, you know, um, and decolonization of it um, and adding, you know, the black history stuff in it, which I speak about a lot. Um, she, she had a, she's basically, she told the House, House of Commons, um, this was her statement word for word. At the moment, history is taught to make one group of people feel inferior and another group feel superior. And this has to stop. We need to look at history and we need to improve it. And she went on to say, there's no other group where they have been systematically stripped of their humanity throughout history. Very powerful, very powerful and very true. Um, I think she, she got a lot of kickback when she said that. I mean, it's definitely worth looking into, but at the end of the day, she's speaking her truth. And from my understanding, she's speaking the truth, you know? Um, the truth doesn't always make you feel comfortable, but the truth is the truth, you know. So let's work with it. Let's embrace the truth and let's move on from that, you know. Um, so an another um, another person who's doing some great stuff, involved with great stuff, is uh, the deputy mayor of Hackney, 
Councillor Antoinette Bramble. So she's, um, they've introduced black history curriculum to Hackley schools. Um, so, and it's groundbreaking. Basically, they've not been doing it anywhere else. So this is going to be the first time they're doing it. It's going to run for nine, nine weeks. Um, they'll study Windrush generation, um, British identity, uh, activism, um, and basically how to help change society, etc. And basically, but really injecting that black British history, you know, which is all of our history. So I'd, I'd really like to see and hear more about this curriculum. I'm really going to look into that a bit more, but hopefully you know, it's a, it's a raving success and they can kind of move it on and push it around the country and everybody can benefit from having that. So, yeah, really good. And, yeah, I really look forward to, to, to the kids and everybody else learning about that, about our history. The government have started targeting critical race theory. So critical race theory is um, it's an ac academic field originated in the US um, around 40 years ago. Um, and basically... it. it it basically started with an attempt to, um, by legal scholars to understand why black communities experience discrimination in the criminal justice system, even though they were formally guaranteed equal rights. So that's, that's what um, critical race theory is about. Um, but according to um, Parliament record, the term crit critical race theory had never been uttered in the House of Commons or the House of Commons chambers before. But this week, the government felt it that important to basically say that they are unequivocally are against the concept um, and went on to say uh, we do not want teach want to see teachers um, teaching their pupils about white privilege and inherit racial guilt so it was basically it was the end of um, Kemi Badenoch's um, six-hour um, debate to mark um, Black History Month um, and they also went on to say um, any school that teaches these elements of critical racial theory or which promote partisan political views such as defunding the police without offering a balanced treatment of opposing views is breaking the law. So times are definitely changing, you know, uh, lines are being made in the sand. So, you know, we have to keep abreast of, of what's going on. So there was recent outrage as um, the former Archbishop of York, John Sentamu, um, didn't automatically get his peerage. So various um, bishops, etc., got their, get their peerage sooner. You know when they've left. Like I think it's um, Lord Hope and uh, the Archbishops of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Um, they all got their peerage. You know as soon as they left. So it, it was a, it's a standard thing. What happens? But for some reason, John, Sent John Sentuma, Sentumu didn't get his. Um, so there's been some outrage about that. Um, people, I mean, but since, since this outrage has happened, um, they've kind of done a bit of a U-turn on it, you know. I think when they, when they started to talk about the fact that Boris Johnson gave his, his brother Joe Johnson a seat um, and they were basically accusations of institutional prejudice, you know, because there's, there's no reason for him not to get it when everybody else got it, you know, especially when one of the excuses was um, they're trying to reduce the amount of peers, but like I said, he still gave his brother one. But anyway, it turns out that he's going to get his, um, his peerage. Um, David Lammy had a lot to say about it on Twitter, talking about the blatant institutional racism or institutional prejudice 
um, because people like Botham um, got one recently, um, Claire Fox, um, Theresa May's husband. So, yeah, so looks like they're going to turn around on that. But um, it's just a pity that these kind of things happen, that they, it needs to be spoken about, you know. It's just, it's, it's just a pity, you know. Just, if we just keep the, the playing field fair, nice and even, um, everybody will be happy ultimately. You know, we, we, we don't need to have these kind of these mistakes happening and people having to backtrack. Just do the right thing the first time, then you don't have to backtrack. Also, in um, Kenton, um, there was a, some racial abuse on a bus um, and by a, an Asian man. Um, he's, he's about 60, 70 years old. Um, woman on a bus, 65-year-old woman on the bus, had to deal with him um, spitting at her, racial abuse, etc. So they've put his picture out and they're, they're looking to find this man. So, yeah, disgusting, man. But, um, yeah, old boy. I mean, I'm, I can only imagine how many times he's... He's done that, etc. So hopefully they'll catch him and they'll, they'll do with him accordingly. Um, also, um, through George Floyd, the whole George Floyd protest, was, which was happening all over the world, still going on in various places. Um, and obviously there was talk about, there was some you know, people that were not for the movement um, doing things to aggravate things and, and incite violence. Well, it turns out there's, there's a particular group called the Boogaloo Boys. Um, which basically they're a far right group, um, and one of them has been um, arrested um, for shooting up, shooting up a police station, setting fire to a police station as well. He was, um, he, I think, he shot. It's accused of shooting like thirteen rounds um, from an AK forty seven um, into the police um, department building, um, and yeah, I mean, this is a man that's out and out racist, you know, far right. Um, but he used this opportunity to use the, you know, the, the guise of um, Black Lives Matter, etc., to to kind of spark violence and, yeah, it's it's just so the duplicitous nature of some people, you know, you know, he, he and he was there saying, you know, let's fight for you know, shouting that, let's fight for um, George Floyd and and you know acting the part, but now he's been caught and, and found out to be the absolute opposite the absolute opposite and just doing what he wanted to do, you know, just because he they're interested in overthrowing the government as well as not liking black people and probably Jews and everything else. Absolutely crazy, man. Sick, sick, sick behaviour. Also, some more sick behaviour. I, I watched a, a clip um, that's been going around, going viral of this middle-aged um, white man who was leaving Jamaica, you know, on a plane, um, ready to depart. The plane was ready to depart. In, from Norman Manley um, Airport in Kingston, and he's on the plane effing and blinding, calling all kinds of people the N-word. You know, I mean, the fact that he was in Jamaica, the plane is full of black people, and you, you, you felt that brazen that you would, would do all of that. You know, it's, it just... Uh, word, words can't explain how, how, how befuddling that kind of behaviour is. It's, it's just mad. Um, but his racist behaviour didn't go unnoticed. Um, the, the, the flight attendants and everybody, you know, refused to let the plane go, asked him to calm down. He wouldn't calm down. They got the police and they kindly escorted him off, you know. Um, I, think, I think somebody um, might, there might have been a couple of punches thrown at him at the time. Um, but, you know, that, 
I mean, when, when people are, are triggering people, you know, in such a blatant fashion, you know, trying to press their buttons, I mean, some people can't, can't hold it, you know? Some people will just snap and, and it's, you know, when, when you watch it, you can, you can see what he's trying to do. You know, he's trying to wind people up. He's trying to make them hit him. And he's even saying, if you touch me, I will, you know, I'm taking you to court. I want to sue you. So a clear objective, you know, and, and this, this is what they do, man. This small-minded, bigoted people. But, hey, he, he, he will have to deal with what he has to deal with now in court. Um, some more, um, you know, closer to home, um, Hampshire police, um, they had a, a unit um, that were working undercover, doing some special operations or whatever. But it turns out um, there were some homophobic and racist sexual language that they were using. Um, and... Uh, basically, there was a whistleblower amongst the police, must have been, um, who this must have been going on for a while. And so what they did, with they, they recorded them covertly. Um, and now these, these guys are in court. There's six of them in court. But they were, you know, they were talking about their black colleagues, talking about, you know, I don't, I don't want to say what they were saying, but it was just a lot of racist stuff um, against women, sex, you know, um, homophobic stuff against... Uh, staff and, and homosexual people in the community, stuff against Albanians, stuff against black people. Yeah, so these six guys, they're, they're, up, for, they're up in court at the moment um, and expected, um, expected to last about three weeks. So you'll hear, probably hear a bit more about that in the news. But yeah, Hampshire police, um, Hampshire police. I, I, don't, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know where bats that is, but um, I'm glad I have nothing to do with that. That side of the world it doesn't make it, do, it doesn't. I mean, you know, for the first time, me hearing about Hampshire, really, I don't, I don't know nothing about Hampshire, but this isn't the best way to hear about Hampshire. Anyway, up in Birmingham, um, which I do know well, um, the police um, lost a book, uh, a book with um, gang details in it. It was basically stolen from their car while it was in the middle of an operation. But since then, um, loads of people are getting death threats. Um, a 14-year-old boy and his parents um, have, have been told, like, you know, you, you, you better make your funeral arrangements and stuff. And there's various people living in fear off the back of this. Um, I, I, didn't hear, I haven't heard a lot about it in the media, but it's, it's quite a big thing, you know. I mean, they probably had informants details in there, maybe. But just the fact that, you know, you've got now 14-year-old kids, you know, your child, you know, 14-year-old children whose lives are now in danger. So, um there's activists, a community activist, John, not John, um, Bishop Desmond Jadu, um, who's kind of kicking up a stink about this in, in Birmingham, and rightfully so, because, you know, people's lives are in danger now. So it'd be interesting to see how that all pans out. But the police have contacted the, um, the people whose names were in the book. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they support them. But I hope nobody doesn't die off the back of it. I hope it doesn't, you know, yeah. Yeah, I hope, I hope things work out in regards to that. Um, but the biggest thing for me this this week is the stuff that's going on in Nigeria with the SARS, um, the Special Anti-Robbery Squad. Um, you know, there's people in, in Nigeria, in, in Lagos, um, peacefully protesting over the past two weeks. And uh, the Nigerian military um, saw it fit to shoot live rounds into the crowd, you know. And off the back of that, the reports are there were like at least 12 people dead you know, off of the back of that. Um, and the president, uh, 
Mohamedou um, Buhari, I believe you pronounce it, he come out and spoke about um, wanting you know, the, the young people to stop protesting, to engage with the government and speak, and didn't mention anything about the shooting. And I think at this point, they're still, they are still um, denying the deaths, actually. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange time across the world for so many different reasons. But, you know, it, in Africa, this is, this is potentially, I, I, not even potentially, I think this is definitely going to change how Africa... Nigeria, it functions moving forward, you know, because I don't think anything like this has happened where the, you know, we know about the corruption in Africa as a whole, you know, um, and we know why there's so much corruption there, but we haven't had this uprising of young people where they, you know, just had enough and just kind of stand up for the, standing up to the police, standing up to the power, you know, so this is a big thing. Um, my, my heart goes out to, to, to the people that have died um, and my, my support is, is there with those young people, man. Because if, if the young people don't, anywhere on the planet, to be fair, if young people don't go out and do that side of, the, um, of whatever you're trying to change, because it's important that, you know, people do do march, you know, that people march, you know, that, that brings a lot of media, that brings a lot of conversation, etc. It's not the only thing, but it's, it's part of it, you know. It is definitely part of it. I know some people disagree, but in, in my book, Marching is part of it, you know, it brings a lot of media. I mean, I, I don't think we would have heard about this if, well, I suppose with the social, social media we may have heard about stuff, but it's the marching part that's actually causing, causing stuff to be spoken about and stuff to happen, but unfortunately it's caused deaths as well. So that's really sad to hear, to be fair. Um, also, um, the Chinike Orchestra, um, which is a black and Asian ethnic minority um, orchestra, orchestra crew or orchestra foundation um, how, are putting together a, a piece um, inspired by Patrick Hutchinson. So Patrick Hutchinson is the man that was hailed a hero for carrying, um, the, and carrying the, um, a white man over his shoulder um, to get him out of danger. He was hurting the crowd, even though he was on the opposite side and there for opposite reasons, um, Patrick Hutchinson still helped him. So the the founders made a is making a, um, a production around him. So that's yeah, that's big man, and he, he deserves it. He, he deserves to be recognised. I mean, I, I know there's people go fifty fifty with that. Some people say he he shouldn't have helped the person. Some people say he should. For me, at the end of the day, and I've said it before, you know, he he done the human thing. You know. It wasn't about black, it wasn't about white, it wasn't about politics, it was just about this man's injured, if I leave him here, he's going to be in a bad situation and I can help him, you know. So, yeah, hats off to him and, yeah, so, that's, uh, so yeah, that, that orchestra situation that they're, that they're putting together, that piece they're putting together, I really look forward to hearing that and seeing that. Um, they've also announced that there's going to be a new 50 pence piece celebrating the contribution of ethnic minorities um, to the UK. Um, it's So the coin, I think it's got diversity built Britain is written on it, which is, yeah, true statement. Definitely diversity, more than diversity built Britain. So that's, that's cool. Um, so I think the plan is the Treasury, you know, the Royal Mint, etc. their plan is to to start doing things like this to, to emphasise the diversity in, in the UK um, via these, via coins, via the notes, etc. But to be fair, um, who uses money so much now? You know, a lot of the time we're using cards, so 
you know the sentiment's nice but it's, I don't know I don't know um, how many how much I don't know what difference it's going to make I suppose you know it's a nice thing that you're doing it would have been nice years ago you know that you know that you were doing those things but um, better late than never I suppose um so I read, I read a interview with David Herewood, um, 50-year-old actor. He played in um, Homeland and he played in Blood Diamonds, one of my favourite movies, to be fair. Um, so he had some mental health issues and he was sectioned when he was 23. And he speaks about how he was, he was terrified. Um, it was like 1989 when it happened. Um, and yeah, he, he, he was just going through what he went through and you know, how scared he was and how, I mean, the, he spoke about the police was holding him down. Um, but in his mind, he knows that now, but in his mind at the time, it was demons on him. You know, demons that was chasing him, demons caught him. And he, so he was fighting for his life. So that's why it took like six of them to kind of hold him down. So, you know, he, he, he was scared, you know. Um, and this is, a, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I suppose I know, a lot of bias, I suppose, to people that have mental health issues and a lot of fear and a lot of lack of empathy to, to what they might be going through. Because, you know, I think sometimes we forget if, if people are going through a mental health episode, they don't, they're not seeing the world in the same way that we're seeing it. It can mean something totally different to them, you know. Um, so, yeah, but he, he, he kind of ended the interview speaking about how if he was in America, there's no doubt that he... he he probably would have died in that situation, you know, because of how he was going on. You know, they probably would have killed him. Um, so, yeah, but thank goodness they didn't because he's a, he's a sterling actor and he, he's done some sterling pieces of work and, and long may that continue. So on the other side of the planet, again, in, um, in Ethiopia, Somalia and Kenya, they are plagued by locusts. It, it almost sounds biblical, <laughs> You know, um, yeah, you know, they've got locusts, locusts everywhere eating the crops. Um, they haven't seen nothing like that for like 25 years, you know, in, in Somalia. Um, and in Kenya and Uganda, they haven't seen nothing like that for about 70 years. Um, so I really feel it for them out there, you know. The I mean, it's not just that there's fat, these millions of insects doing what they do, but they, they're eating the crops and this is... You know, this is harvest time, you know, so it has a major impact. But it'd be just interesting to know why it's happening. You know, what causes them, you know, to, to maybe breed so much at this particular time? And, you know, what, what is it about? What's going on in the planet that's making that happen at this particular time? Or is it just something that happens every 20 years or whatever? It's, it's, it's crazy. But, yeah. So I, ho I hope that um, they find a way to address that. Um, so Norton, the, um, the antivirus people for the computers, they um, done a recent study and talked about um, young people and the amount of time they're spending, on, not just young people, just people in general, the, the amount of time uh, people spend on screens um, during the pandemic. It's basically, it's risen, it's risen to nine hours a day, you know, during lockdown. Um, and they spoke about 58% of parents um, fear their children and now become addicted to devices. You know, I think most most people are addicted to devices already, man. You know, some people can't eat without being on their phone. They can't have a conversation without being on the phone. You know, everything is to do with the phone, you know. And I'm sure we're all guilty of it at some... We're all guilty of it at some stage. Um, but we, we, we it's definitely something we need to start addressing, especially with our kids, because 
if they see us on the phones all the time or on the laptops all the time or in front of the TV all the time, they're going to pick that up by osmosis, you know. It's not everything that we, we teach comes out of our mouth. You know, our, our children watch us as well and they learn a lot from that. They watch everybody else. So, so yeah, but um, the evidence that they found um, kind of is leading to that um, spending very, a very long time on these devices with children leads to depression, lack of socialisation, self-harm and poor behaviour. And yeah, you know, I, I've seen it. You know, it, it, throughout my throughout my 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 days, I've I've definitely seen that happening um, to adults and young people who who are constantly in their phone. You know, um, and basically, no one's not saying not to use the phones. You, you know, the, the, these are good tools, but we we need to be mindful how we're using them. You know, um, that's so that's that's something we need to do for sure. Um, they, they basically their study said that um, they're speaking about we need to be using it no more than four hours a day, you know. So, yeah, I mean, you know, ha have a quiet word with yourself and think about how many how many hours you're actually spending on your phone. Um, one of the things I think the main thing they're suggesting is that um, we've got to find other ways to occupy ourselves, you know, um, spend time with our family, um, build family values as well, and, and especially with young people, you know. That, you've got to think you know if you if you grew up in, in in the past decades before mobile phones and before smartphones the amount of human experience that you 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 had just by being alive in that time when there wasn't wasn't that technology the kids and, and young people now are kind of being robbed of that you know and and they won't get that time back you know um so yeah balance balance is the key so I, I've I've been <laughs> talking about screens. I, I have watched a fair bit of a fair bit of TV. You know, it's it, there's, there's been a lot on, uh, um, but I do I do balance it out. But the things that really caught me um, was on, like BBC Two. I watched them Soul America, um, basically about soul music of the 1970s. Um, they the soundtracks of like the black exploitation movies uh, like Superfly, Shaft. Um, and then I also found out about the first black exploitation movie by uh, Melvin Van Peebles, a movie called Sweet Sweet L's um, Badass Song um, from 1971. Bit of a long title, but um, but yeah, I, have, I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, the the soundtracks, you know, really funky, and you know, uh, Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, Marvin Gaye, um, yeah, powerful stuff. And also, um, they spoke about. I spoke about um, Ray Charles um, being the first, the first um, uh, black man, the black artist to own his own masters, you know. And when he asked for, for ownership of his masters, like the, the record company came back at him and said, look, not even Frank Sinatra owns his own masters, but Ray Charles didn't stop there, you know, and, and he owned his own masters, you know. Set the pace, set, set the pace for um, all of those artists now who have their own masters, you know. I didn't know anything about that, so it was a real history lesson. Also, a great history lesson was um, on Sky Documentaries, Hitsville, The Making of Motown. Really, really, really good documentary um, about Barry Gordy, Barry Gordy, how he um, built... Um, Motown. Um, I didn't know he was a really close friend of it. It's like like kind of brothers kind of thing. Him and Smokey Robinson, you know, and hearing the dialogue between them, hearing how Barry Gordy was uh, was working in Ford on a production line, and he basically brought that model into the music business, you know, into developing artists. So he'd have, you know, he'd have loads of different rooms within 
within the building that they bought and, and they take the artist through development like a conveyor belt. And, you know, now hearing that, when you see how much music they churned out, you know, I've got, I've got the, the, uh, what is it? I think it's the 101 uh, Motown anthems. Um, and I mean, there's loads more music they've got, but, you know, they were just churning them out, churning them out, and there was top end, you know, all of this, this music is timeless. You still play it now, you know? Um, but yes, really, really, really good show. Really, really, really good show. Really good insight into who these people were and oh, who these people are and how they did what they did. Um, you know, music from the Supremes, the Jacksons, Temptations, Stevie Wonder, you know, and watching Stevie Wonder as a, as, as a, as a kid, you know, coming into, coming into the music business and becoming the person he is as well. Yeah, amazing. I'd lo- in fact, I'd love to see a documentary, not, yeah, like a, a bio of, of Stevie Wonder from, you know, from when he was a kid till, till, till now. That's probably out there somewhere. I'm going to have to look for that. Yeah. Um, also, um, not out yet, but um, Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom movie, um, the trailer is out now on Netflix. This is um, Chadwick Boseman's final film. So obviously we know Chadwick um, is who played um, Black Panther, um, you know, and, you know, he, he passed away this year, sadly. Um, but, he, he, you know, we forget, well, not, not we forget, but, we have to remember that how much work this, this man done in his short time in the, in the movie business. He played Jackie Robinson, he played James Brown um, in his early career, you know, he, and he's, he's done a lot, he's done a lot. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. Um, it's basically set in the 1920s. Um, it's also produced by Denzel Washington as well. Um, and it's out on December the 18th. So that is uh, the Christmas movie for this year, for sure. Um, but Chadwick plays uh, an ambitious trumpeter um, alongside Oscar winner Viola Davis. Um, the show basically explores uh, issues of race in the music business and exploitation of black artists in the industry. So, yeah, um, really looking forward to that. And I watched the, the third part of Enslaved um, with Samuel Jackson. It's a four-part show. I spoke about that before. Um, really good show, man. Every, they, they definitely are opening my eyes to to elements that I didn't know about. This one I knew a bit more about because this was about the, um, the resistance, the African resistance. They, they focused on that. Again, um, with their team, um, DWP they're called, um, the diving team, diving with purpose they're called. Um, so they, yeah, so basically they were, they were exploring the freedom ships that are really emphasised about how many um, ships were, were, were taken by, by slaves, by the, by the captives. And... Um, you know, um, sailed to Canada where they could be free, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I learned quite quite a bit in in, in that, you know, because you 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 often I think the only times the main story I've heard about the resistance has been with Nat Turner, Nat Turner's story, but you don't hear a lot about the the, the fight back from Africans, you know. You always hear about. Um, uh, slave abolitionists um who who were white most of them and and you know the odd with the with help of black people but you know sometimes it was you know as as we know you know you, when you captive captive when you do these kind of things to people and you have them captive and that you know people are fighting for their life so it's obvious it stands to reason there would have been loads of different types of rebellions you know um so yeah, and some of them made it, some of them didn't make it. Um, it they really went into Harriet Tubman's story and spoke about how she, 
she used to um, code her songs to communicate with slaves um, and, yeah, get them on these ships and, and sell, them, sell, them, sell them to freedom in Canada. I didn't know Canada was a safe haven. That was something that I learned from that as well. Um, and also learned about a town which is still there called Africatown in Alabama, um, owned by and run by um, Africans um, who are descendants from that time. Um, and there was a famous uh, African who lived there by the name of Kazula, who has a has a really interesting story. I won't I won't spoil it, but um, yeah, definitely worth having a look. Definitely worth having a look. Um, the book this week I have been asked to um, recommend is the Windrush Generation by David Matthews. It's basically a powerful collect collection of stories um, from men and women and children from the Windrush Generation who are basically West Indians, as we know, West Indians who migrated um, to Britain um, between 1948 and 1971 um, due to the, in, in response really, to labour shortages um, and search of a better life. Um, and yeah, I think that the English story sometimes goes amiss, you know what I mean? That this is, you know, we're in England, you know, and, and we've had, a, we've had a, a different struggle maybe to America on some levels. You know, and Windrush, Windrush has, has been a big part of it, even down to recent years with that whole Windrush situation. So, yeah, definitely have a read of that. That's the Windrush generation. Um, vo in fact, sorry, Voices of the Windrush Generation by David Matthews. Get it right. So, um, also, um, Google Matthew Henson. Matthew Henson. His story is interesting as well. Um, some of you may have heard of him. I won't say any more. I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to type his name into Google. Um, and yeah, so yeah, it's been it's been a, a lot's gone on. So this is this was a longer longer version um, today, but um, glad 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 we did it. Glad we, we we got this information out there as well. But like I always say, you know, this year as challenging as it is. As challenging as this year is, um, with all the unknowns to come, you know, all the unknowns that we're dealing with, um, there are countless opportunities that didn't exist last year, you know, and, and that's what we have to seek out. And I'm not just talking about financial um, uh, opportunities, there's just opportunities in this entirety, you know, and those are the things we need to focus on. What can we do, you know? If you, if you look at the telly, if you look at, listen to the radio, if you read the papers, you'll definitely be crystal clear of what you can't do because that's what this year is going to be known for, what you couldn't do as a human being on this planet throughout 2020 and however long it goes on for. So my thing is, let that happen. That's happening. You can't do much about that, but you can focus on the opportunities. So that's what I would say. So thank you again for choosing Pablo's podcast today. Hopefully you can join me on the next one. Until then, take care and be nice to each other. Thank you for listening to Pablo's podcast. I'm Pablo from Hackney and you can catch me next week for more healthy discussion.